If you would take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis 25. This is the last in our series on the God of Abraham. Uh, beginning next Sunday, we'll, we'll jump into the book of Luke. That's going to take us a while. Luke is the longest book in the New Testament, I believe. And so we're going to break that up over some time, but it works out well, especially as the Christmas season starts. We'll begin right at the beginning of Luke and think on the birth of Jesus um, and continue on through that book. But we're in Genesis 25 this morning. Um, if you've ever read a, a great book or maybe watched a really good movie or a, a television series, then you know that sometimes it's kind of bittersweet when it comes to an end. You don't really want it to come to an end. Um, there, you may be left with unanswered questions, or it could be just that you've you've grown attached to the people you've been reading about or watching. They've become your friends in some sort of a way, and you and you don't really want to say goodbye. You want the story to continue as long as possible. And so as we close today our time looking at Abraham, more importantly looking at the God of Abraham, it's kind of bittersweet, isn't it, that we've grown to, to know Abraham. There's a sense in which I wish we didn't have to say goodbye, that we could continue learning from him. But uh, as we're going to see in different ways today, Abraham was a human being. He was a man, just like you and me, and his life has to come to an end, just like all of our lives will come to an end, barring the Lord's return. But here in Genesis 25, we're given uh, this wonderful close to the life of our friend Abraham, and we have this opportunity not to only to think about what Genesis 25 has to teach us, but also even just to reflect on all that we've learned about the God of Abraham, about our God, from Genesis chapter 12 through 25. So let's read together um, Genesis 25, verses 1 through 11. I'll read these verses. It says, Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Madan, Midian, Ishbak and Shua. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dadan. The sons of Dadan were Ashurim, Letushim, and Leumim. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Ephor, Hanak, Abida, and Eldah. All these were the children of Keturah. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac, eastward to the east country. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, in the field of, of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled in Be'er Lahairoi. Look also at verse 12. It says, These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar, the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham, and then also verse 19, these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son, Abraham's father, Isaac. Now Moses, in writing the book of Genesis, did not always put things in chronological order. 
It doesn't necessarily mean that events followed one after the other. And here, actually, the events of the end of Genesis chapter 25 happened before the events at the beginning of Genesis 25. So the, the last half of Genesis 25 is the story of the birth, the famous birth, of Jacob and Esau to Isaac and Rebekah. You remember these, these twin sons. That actually happened before Abraham died. It happened when Isaac was 60. And so that would have made Abraham about 160 at the birth of these grandchildren. And we see in the text that he dies at 175. So it's just interesting to think that Abraham saw the birth of these two sons and they lived around him for probably 15 years. It's neat to think about Abraham as a grandfather. But that wasn't all that he saw in his waning years. We find right at the beginning that Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. That may seem strange to us. We think about Abraham and Sarah being together for so long, and to see Abraham take another wife seems a little strange. But he would have been married to Keturah possibly for almost 35 years, maybe more. He had a lot of life left. And we find here that they had six sons together. The text even lists some of the grandsons that would have been had by these three sons. And the mention of these sons is in part a fulfillment of, of the promise that God made to Abraham, of making his name great. Not only that, of, but you remember God said, I will make of you a multitude of nations. I'm going to make you many nations. And all of these sons had more sons and became more nations and spread out across the world. And so this is in part a fulfillment of what God had done for Abraham. But in the midst of all these, the emphasis is on Isaac, isn't it? Look at verse 5. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. Abraham makes it very clear that Isaac is the promised seed. It says that he blesses his other sons, verse 6, but to the sons of his concubines, which would be a reference probably to Hagar and to Keturah. To these sons he gave gifts, but it says that he gave everything to his son Isaac. They were blessed, but they were not blessed in being allowed to stay in this country. You see what happens at the end of verse 6. They were, he sent them away. He sent them to the east country. This would recall to our minds, you remember, um, in, in chapter 21, when they're celebrating the weaning of Isaac, and Sarah sees Ishmael uh, poking fun at her son Isaac and tells Abraham, you need to send away Hagar and Ishmael. And you remember Abraham didn't know what to do with this, but God confirmed and supported this decision, not as a way of being mean or, or harsh to Hagar and to Ishmael, but as a means of, of removing any other possible heir, any threats to Isaac as the one who is going to inherit all of the promises that had been made to Abraham. And so that's essentially what's going on here, is that all are being sent away because Isaac is the promised seed. Isaac is the son that, that will be the heir, and there can be no competition. And so actually this sending away of these sons is, is Abraham's kind of last act of faithfulness to God, his last, his last hope in the promises that God had made. He trusted God throughout his life, sometimes more clearly than others we've seen. Uh, but he believed that God was good on his word. He believed that God would do what he said, that he would have the land of Canaan, that he would be blessed, that he would be the father of many nations, that he would be a blessing, and that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him, namely through the promised seed, through Isaac. Abraham believed that. We've kind of watched him tying up loose ends, haven't we? 
We watched as he purchased this this field and this cave to bury his wife and, and for himself to be buried. Not only that, but also for the descendants that would be in the land of Canaan to be buried. And then in the last chapter we saw as he secured a wife for Isaac. He made sure that his son had a wife who would follow in this line of promise. And now here he sends away these sons. He clears away all obstacles, places his son in the line of God's blessing, the continuation of these covenants. And so I think the emphasis, you might say, in verses 1 through 6 is on the sure word of the Lord. This is something that we've seen throughout this series, that, that God can trust, that Abraham can trust God. It's on, the emphasis is on God's faithfulness to Abraham. Not only that, but Abraham's faithfulness to, to do what God has said. But again, we find that we can trust God. We, we even see uh, that God is true to his promises in, the, in verses 12 uh, through 18. This shows the descendants of Ishmael. Do you remember the promise that God made to Ishmael? Or that God made more so to Hagar and to Abraham, that Ishmael would be the father of many nations. The point of verses 12 through 18 is to show us God was true to his word. He made Ishmael great. He made him the father of many nations. God's word is true. We can trust him. Abraham didn't see everything. He saw a lot of things, didn't he? He saw all these sons that, that would be a multitude of nations. He saw the son of promise. He didn't see the land fully gathered, but he saw enough to know that God was going to be true to his word. And so again, I think the application that we've seen so many times is that we can learn a lesson of faith from Abraham, that we can trust God's word, that when he says he is going to do something, he will do it. That we can trust him even though we have not seen everything. Even in our lifetime we, not, we may not see everything. But we can trust that God is good on his word. Then in verse 7, our friend Abraham, this man who was called the friend of God, dies. It says, these are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years. He was 175 years old when God took him. God had been faithful to bless Abraham in countless ways, and here we see he blessed him with a full, long life. Now the text here says it calls him an old man. Um, it says he was full of years. That, that's, that's a compliment. Uh, in our society, to call someone an old man is sometimes viewed as a way of putting them down. Uh, I've been called an old man. Uh, I've been called an old man which maybe says more about the person calling me that than it does about me. Uh, not because I'm old, but maybe just because I'm not young or because I have a family and because I have a bedtime. Um, I guess that makes me old. Uh, I don't know. But the, the issue here is, is, is that in our society, to be old is to not be young. And in our culture, it exalts in youth, doesn't it? You don't see a whole lot of uh, television shows or actors and actresses that are old. But when we think on 175-year-old Abraham as an old man, we should think of him as, as a man of, of wisdom, as a man who had experienced so much of life. Think about how much we have learned from Abraham just in a simple reading of these portions of his life. What if, what if Abraham was your uncle? Or what if Abraham was a family friend that you could learn from? So to reject him because he's old, that'd be extremely foolish. It'd be to miss so many things that he could teach but to see him as old, as a man full of wisdom, as a man full of, of faith, that's how we can learn from him. 
uh, Ramel and I just began reading through the book of Proverbs. And at the beginning, it talks about what wisdom is. And part of what wisdom is, it says, is wisdom is to know that you need to get wisdom. Wisdom is to say, I don't have everything figured out. I think sometimes uh, we look at older people and we think, well, we don't have anything to learn from them. But wisdom looks at someone who is older and, and doesn't say, I have all the answers, I don't need to listen to them. But wisdom looks at someone who is older and says, there's an old man, an old woman. Boy, I could learn a lot from them. I could gain a lot of wisdom by sitting down and, and listening to them. They are full of years and they're probably full of wisdom. I have a lot to learn. I just think it's good to, to think about saying saying that Abraham is an old man here is not meant to be a cut on him. It's meant to exalt him. He was full of years. He was a man of wisdom. I'm thankful for our church, the fact that, that there is a wide span of ages. I'm thankful that, that my children have the opportunity to interact with those that are older in the faith and just and older in general. I'm thankful that I had that opportunity. I I'm thankful that I serve uh, as an elder with Joel. Now, I'm not saying Joel's an old man. I'm glad he's not here so that he can get... But even if I was, that would be a compliment, that Joel has experience in life. He knows more than I do. He's been in ministry longer than I have. I have something to learn. I'm thankful every time I get to sit and pray with Nana Lulu or Nana Eva, that, that I learn so much just by hearing them pray, that we should be thankful for those that are older than us. May we never reject someone because they are an old man or an old woman, but may we look at them as someone who we can learn from. So the text says that Abraham was, was an old man full of years, and then it has this beautiful phrase that says, and he was gathered to his people there at the end of, of verse 8. This idea has um, the idea of being gathered up with those who were faithful before him, with those who, who shared his trust in God, with those whose faith guaranteed that their lives were not over simply because their lives on earth were over. He's gathered to this great cloud of witnesses, you might say. Abraham was our forefather in the faith, and his death reminds us that it's by faith that we have hope in death. Abraham looked towards the fulfillment of God's promises and, and to God, and we look to the fulfillment of the promises made to Abraham that are found fully in Jesus. That's where we find our hope. We look to Jesus who tasted death for all people. We look to him so that we might find life. And so when we die, we will be gathered We will be gathered to our people, to the people of faith. Who are your people, I think, is maybe a question we could ask. Our people are those who have staked their, their life and their death and their eternal life on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They are people who are not resting on what they have done with their lives, but they are resting on what Jesus has done in living a righteous life, dying as our substitute. And I would say those are my people. And when I die, I will be happy to be gathered up with the rest of the faithful. And so I think the question that we might ask is, who are your people? Uh, when you die, will you, who will you be gathered to? Will you be gathered up with men and women of faith? Is the God of Abraham your God? And if he is, it's, it's only possible because of faith. It's only possible because of faith like, like Abraham's. And if we have faith, faith in Jesus, then when we die, our life is not ended here, but we will be gathered up. We will be gathered to our people. What a great phrase. It's interesting to look at how Abraham dies here. He dies with those who loved him, surrounding him. Verse 9 is intriguing, isn't it? Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah. 
Ishmael returns. Ishmael returns, and you know how old Ishmael would have been? He probably would have been pushing 90 years old. He returns to the picture, and he joins 75-year-old Isaac. I don't know if they had interacted between the time that he was sent away and, and now, but it's interesting to think about them gathering together. And they come together, and they go to this cave, the cave of Machpelah, and they bury Abraham with his wife, Sarah, who had been resting in that cave for almost 40 years now. And Abraham's bones are laid in the land of promise, the land that God had swore to give to him and to his descendants. And then it's clear that the blessing passes from Abraham on to Isaac. It says in verse 11, after the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac his son, and Isaac settled in Beera Lahairoi. And so the blessing of Abraham is passed on to his son, to this next generation. He becomes the heir of all that God had promised to do for Abraham. And the focus of Genesis now switches from Abraham to Isaac and to Isaac's sons. You remember when we saw at the beginning, we looked at the book of Genesis and how it can be broken down into this idea that these are the generations of. These are the generations of. This is the close of the generations of Terah. You remember that's how we started. These are the generations of Terah. Then we see in verse 12, like we read, these are the generations of Ishmael. And it closes off Ishmael. And then in verse 19, these are the generations of Isaac. And so we move on. We move, we've moved on from the generations of Terah, and now we are into the generations of Isaac. And that's where the shift of Genesis goes. But as we close out Abraham's life, I think it's good to, to just kind of take a look back at, the, at all that we have watched him walk through. You might think of this like a few snapshots, you know, maybe some pictures you would put in a scrapbook of Abraham's life that he might hand down to, to his children and his grandchildren. You might see the first picture of him a hundred years ago. A hundred years ago when God first called a man named Abram out of Ur and Haran, and we can see him walking into the land that he had never been to, not knowing what the rest of his life was going to look like, but simply knowing that he had heard the voice of God and that he had to obey. We can kind of watch him take his baby steps of faith as he sets up the altars, you remember. And then we can watch him fall flat on his face as he goes to Pharaoh and he lies. Uh, we can watch he and Sarah try to take this promise into their own hands. And you remember they try to have a son by Hagar. And then we can watch them as they say God is in control and they submit to God. Even, even in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, they say the judge of all the earth will do what is right. We believe this God. They're growing in their understanding of who God is. We can remember both of them, Abraham and Sarah, on separate occasions, unable to hold back their laughter when God told them that he was going to give them a son. And then we can watch them not too long after that, not even trying to hold back their laughter as they held Isaac, this son that they had had when Sarah was 90 and Abraham was 100. And so as we've put flesh and bones on these, these characters, it's become apparent that Abraham was a man. Abraham was a human being like you and me. I think that's one of the big things we should draw. Abraham was a man. Abraham was a human being like you and me. He was just like you and me. He was constantly changing. He was, he was up and down. We see him in this. We see him, as they say, warts and all. We see him, in, in, in seeing him in that way, we see ourselves. We see our weaknesses. We see our faithlessness. We see our moments of triumph. We see our moments of joy. And I don't know about you, but that, that gives me hope. Because it's not, because Abraham is, is like me. But not only that, Abraham's God is my God. I think that's the lesson that we learned. Abraham was a man like you and me. 
and Abraham's God is the God of you and me, because that's what's most important. As much as Abraham changes in these pictures, the constant is God. God is consistent through all these. He is faithful. He is, he is unchanging. From the moment that he called Abraham out of Haran to the moment he called him to himself in death, God was faithful. God never changed. So the encouragement that we take is that, that God, or that, that Abraham was just like us, but God used him to do extraordinary things. I think that's the lesson for us. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter if we're people that make mistakes like Abraham. It doesn't matter if we lie when the pressure's on like Abraham did multiple times. It doesn't matter if um, we sacrifice those that we love for our own protection, which Abraham did with Sarah. It doesn't matter if we are people who fall into the same sins over and over again, which is what Abraham did. It doesn't matter if we are people who laugh at God when he tells us that he's going to do something. It also doesn't matter for people who, by God's grace, believe, who resist the temptation of the foreign kings of this world, or who um, see God's hand, even in the destruction of the wicked. If we're people who are willing to lay down what we hold most dear on the altar for God to take. God is the same in our highs and in our lows, and he uses broken, sinful people like you and me and Abraham because he has adopted us as, our, as his children, and he, he loves to use us. Abraham was a man like you and me, and Abraham's God is the God of you and me. So whoever you are, God can use you. Age does not matter. Think about how old Abraham was when God called him. 75 years old. Um, your occupation doesn't matter. Abraham did not have a glamorous occupation. He wasn't a pastor in the traditional sense. He was a pastor in the root of that word. He was a shepherd. He was a sheep herder. He was a nomad. Your social status doesn't matter. Abraham became great, but he never owned any land. He was never, he was never had that. All, the only thing that he owned was, was the cave that he was buried in. So whatever excuse you might come up with, it, it doesn't hold any water because God it, what matters is who God is, not who who we are. It's about the God of Abraham. And the God of Abraham is the God of, of you and me. And so God actually delights in using people that are broken. God delights in using the Abrahams of the world, the people that, that maybe don't have all the faith, that don't have it all together, that are that are old and seem like they're they're past being used. Because when he uses people like that, who gets the glory? Not Abraham. As we've looked through this story, haven't you said, wow, Abraham really messed up a lot. We love him because of that. And who's exalted in the story of Abraham? God is. The stories are about the God of Abraham because God uses the weak to confound the wise. He uses ordinary people to accomplish his extraordinary plans so that he alone receives the glory. So I think we need to embrace the fact that we are human like Abraham. We need to pray and we need to believe that God could use us to do extraordinary things because it's not about us. It's about God. And if our God is the same as the God of Abraham, then we can do anything. Remember, the story is not about Abraham. It's about God. And, and our story isn't about us. Your life is not about you. Your life is about 
God. So as much as we should take away this wonderful truth that God can can use us, we should also realize that we are not indispensable to the plans of God. Abraham dies. Abraham is no longer with us, but God's plans continue on. We see Ishmael, and we see Isaac, and Jacob, and Esau, and we know that God's plans are continuing to plod forward. That, that Abraham is not the, the only one that can, that can fulfill these purposes and these plans. And so, to, so too, when we die, the story is going to continue. We need to be faithful to pass on our faith to the next generation, but we also need to be faithful to recognize that if I'm gone, it doesn't really matter. God's plans will continue. He loves to use us, but the only person that is indispensable to God's plans is God, because he's the one that's doing it in the first place. And so I think as the narrative of Abraham comes to a close, we can think about the fact that, that his story is coming to a close, but God's grand story is not coming to a close, that his story of salvation continues. And I think in light of the, the close of this smaller story, and then the fact that next week we're going to pick up in the, in the book of Luke, and we're going to think about the birth of Jesus I actually would like to end the way that we began. I don't know if you remember how we began this series, but we began reading one of my favorite books, which is the Jesus Storybook Bible. <laughs> and and you remember Sally Lloyd-Jones talks, and she says that the Bible is, is not a book of rules or a book of heroes. This is what she says. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, including the story of Abraham, but all the stories are telling one big story, the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story, and at the center of the story, there's a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He's like the missing piece in a puzzle, a piece that makes all the other pieces fit together, and suddenly you can see a beautiful picture. And this is no ordinary baby. This is the child upon whom everything would depend. And so as we close out this wonderful narrative of Abraham, we are turning to that baby. We're turning to the child upon whom everything would depend. We turn to the baby who was an even greater miracle child than Isaac was. He was the true child of promise who, through whom the entire world would be blessed. And we turn to the man who never lied in the face of rulers, uh, who, li- who never laughed when God said that that was what his plans were. We turn to the Savior who would climb Calvary, with the wood on his back and lay down his life as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We turn to Jesus because that's what the story of Abraham is really all about. The story is not about Abraham. It's about the God of Abraham. It's about the God who would give his own his son, his his one and only son, so that he might save us and make us his children. Every story whispers the name of Jesus. And as we've read through the narrative of Abraham, we've seen the God of Abraham. And even in that, we've seen the person of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the one who is faithful when Abraham was not. Jesus is the promised son. 
Jesus is the Lamb of God. He is the sacrifice that takes away the sins of the world. So we thank God for Abraham. But more than that, we thank God for himself. And we thank God that the God of Abraham is our God. So let me close this in prayer. And then we will close in a song. Father, we thank you so much that none of this depends on us. It all depends on you, that this story is not about Abraham and our story is not about us, but it's about you. But you are the one true and living God. All things are possible with you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to recognize that we are human, that we are fallible, that we fail. Lord, but you never fail. You are unchanging. And if we would walk in your ways, we would seek to be faithful. Lord, that you will use us to do extraordinary things, not for our glory, but for yours. Lord, we thank you that, that this story points to Jesus, that it shows us that he is the true fulfillment of all these promises, that he fulfills the covenant made to Abraham in every way. We thank you for him, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.